did you see the article about the guy who went through all the Wikipedia pages and did them in the Scots language? No. So Scots is actually a language. It's okay. not just it's not just a Scottish accent. It's in a language. But some kid in America has for years and years and years. I think they did like something like nine thousand Wikipedia pages. They went through and changed it to Scots language. But instead of actually <laughs> observing the language. They just did things in a Scottish accent. So there's like, there's an entry that's like telekinesis and it's like telekinesis is the art of moving objects with your mind. And that's how it's <laughs> like phonetically written. written out like that. Yeah. And they did so many. And then they just, because I think people were just were reading, they were like, this isn't Scots. This is just someone who's just replacing random words with like, you know, instead of um, can't, like can I, and instead of with, it's like we. And uh, you know, like the little <laughs> Scots words, but it's like it's an actual language. It's not just a cute little <laughs> accent. Like it's a proper dialect. And everyone is saying, like, this is equal parts hilarious and like Super and, and also like you know cultural vandalism <laughs> on like such an epic scale. But it's also just bonkers and nuts and quite funny. Welcome back to the Fierce Females of History podcast, where we tell the stories of women from history that you should know about. I'm Lucy. I'm Talissa. And I'm Erin. Uh, welcome back, team. It's uh, It's been a good time. It's been great. It's been great doing this <laughs> podcast with you both. What are you doing? Honestly, I know that I sound like I'm being a dickhead, but I just want to say thanks. This has been great. I'm not leaving. I'm just like want to say thanks yeah where are you going yeah we haven't even said your stuff yet do we need to, do we, we need, do we need to call your family <laughs> no i'm just having some bants no i love no, a good i love a good either. casual banter speaking of banter bands. that's flatlining Sorry. <laughs> speaking of flatlining oh, shut up if you're either listening to us which you are if you're hearing this you're listening to us i'm cool take a screenshot share it on your story on instagram and tag us so we know where you're at what you're doing who are you what do you look like What's inside your and we soul? we can stalk you. All right. Can we start doing my fucking story? Let's go. Erin, oh. who do you have for us? Do start again. doing your fucking story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Guys, we're going way back. So I've got to dive in and get into this because it's a doozy. What All year right. are we talking? We're in 15th century BC, Egypt. Okay. Ooh. So just, just put yourself there. Put yourself in an Egyptian, 15th century Egyptian shoes. That's where we're at. And evidence of a pharaoh that ruled 20 years earlier is being etched out of history. Statues, monuments, cartouches, which are the hieroglyphics with the kind of the oval around them. They're all being chipped away in an attempt to get rid of that earlier ruler. But why, I hear you both ask, would anyone want to erase a pharaoh from Egyptian history? I mean, pharaohs were monarchs. They were rulers. They were often considered, if not self-titled, as gods. Well, I'm so happy you both asked. The reason is... <laughs> You're not, like, giving us a chance. <laughs> the reason is this pharaoh was, in fact, a woman. <gasps> dun, dun, dun! That woman's name was Hatshepsut. And why, I hear you both ask again, why, oh, why would it be an issue if a woman was a pharaoh of Egypt? Why, oh, why would well, it be an issue if a woman was a pharaoh? In truth, we don't actually know if that was the issue or if it was an issue, her gender was an issue with her ruling. Of course, this was a very long time ago, as I stated, and full disclosure at the beginning of this story, some things are not completely known for sure. When it came to women 
coming into rule in Egypt, they were considered placeholders or the middleman, so to speak, for the male heirs, usually because the male heirs were too young or hadn't been born yet, et cetera, et cetera. But as we will come to learn today, our girl, Hatshepsut, who this story is about, didn't just keep the seat warm when she was the um, so-called middleman placeholder. She actually went on to rule very successfully and peacefully, naturally prompting some male successors to literally claim her homework as their own and perhaps some successors to be a little bit jealous at how well she ruled. Long story short. There was a study that came out recently about how different countries handled COVID and female-led countries did the best yeah. at their mm-hmm. response to it. Hatch and so I'm not surprised that she was handling things better than the men could at the time. It's been happening yeah. since dawn of time. <laughs> In saying that, Hatshepsut, who our story is about today, is not the only female ruler of Egypt. And she's also not the first, but she's definitely the longest and the most successful. So let's dive into Egypt at the time. Not deeply because we'll be here for seven years, but Egyptian history goes back 6,000 years. And for a very long, 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 long time, long, long time ago, they were ballers. They were wealthy. (laughs) They have a long, (laughs) they have a long ancient history of wealth and success due to the flow of the Nile river and its fertile banks. And they obviously had a lot of accomplishments on native inhabitants and outside influence. One of the earliest human structures in the world was found in Egypt, dating to about 100,000 BC, which is a long time ago, okay? It's really long. And basically, to cut the longest story short, it was prosperous and independent operating under native Egyptian rule that was up until the Archimedes Empire in the 6th century BC, Then in 332 BC, Macedonian ruler Alexander the Great, which may ring a bell, conquered Egypt, which led to many foreign and civil wars that led to the decline of the kingdom and its final conquer by Rome. So basically everything was fine until people people conquered. That's pretty much it. So just like everywhere else then. We're talking about Hatshepsut today. Probably one of the most popular female rulers of Egypt, though, we would say is Cleopatra. She is... Yeah, everyone knows Cleopatra's name. She's there's been movies made about her. Shakespeare wrote a play about her. Like she's v famous. Controversial um, Halloween costumes every year about her. Continue. Don't dress up like figures from different cultures. Very controversial. Yeah, but she was also a little bit controversial. So now that is a soap opera. The death of Cleopatra actually ended the nominal independence of Egypt, resulting in Egypt becoming one of the provinces of the Roman Empire. Okay, and that's. A very, 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 very slim snippet of Egypt's history. (laughs) (laughs) You did well. There's a lot to cover. Anyways, Hatshepsut, the lucky duck, existed during Egypt's prosperous years. And she actually improved Egypt economically um, and peacefully during her reign. So she left it better than she found it. That's for sure. Okay, so Hatshepsut, whose name literally means foremost of noble women. So obviously, what did they expect? She was obviously not here to fuck spiders. Um, (laughs) She was born around around 1507 BC, but of course, you know, that's not accurate. To her father, the pharaoh Tutmos I, and her mother, Amos. And 
there's a lot of Tutmoses, so I'm just going to call him Tut One. Her father was Pharaoh <laughs> Tutmose One, and her mother was Amos. Her dad was a very keen warrior who actually led plenty of successful battles into Nubia and Syria to help expand the Egyptian territory. Okay. In fact, Hatshepsut came from a strong bloodline of warrior kings, and her royal bloodline would come in handy later. It was in her blood. After the death of her very successful warrior battle father, the next in line was Tutmos II, who was, in fact, Hatshepsut's half-brother and husband. Oh, nice. Keeping it in the family. Yeah, well, of course, we know that was definitely the norm, but it is easier than a dating app, so I guess that's... uh, that's (laughs) Um, Anyways... That's that's so a he, leap, Erin. Is everything okay? <laughs> oh, incest. It's just a little bit easier. Cut some corners. Did Literally. you say step? Half. Brother. Half. Brother. Brother. That half. Only half counts. That's yeah, fine. it's fine. Um, okay, so he so t- now we're on to Tut Tutmos the second, Tut okay. two. And two he continued to he continued to fight uh, the fight in Nubia. And the two of them had a daughter named Neferi. Either way, they had one daughter and that was all. She couldn't bear any more children after that. But obviously having a daughter is a bit of a, oh no, how are we going to keep this family going situation? So then they have more than one wife. And he ended up having a son with his second wife uh, who was then Tutmos the third, and then technically the next in line to take the throne. What's but with people Tut- calling their son their name? I'm done with that. I don't like it. You want to name your daughter Talissa Junior? I mean, maybe, but like, <laughs> I don't like how people use the same name. like Talissa the Greater and Talissa the Lesser, and <laughs> I just don't get why. There's many names. Pick a different name. You've got nine months to think about it. Don't. Nah, it's do- all about the legacy. It's all about the legacy. Oh, don't like it. The Egyptians were real, uh, uh, what's the word? Humble and uh, down to earth. And uh, <laughs> their egos were very small, very small egos. Before, when you said that they claimed themselves as gods, it made me think of Kanye a bit. Just going to put that out there. He yep. definitely has yep. a messiah complex. Oh, yeah. A lot of big dick energy in Egypt back in the day. Big pyramid Always energy, than one. I would say. <laughs> big pyramid Yep, big everything energy. And I'm not talking about Ramesses today, but if I was, ho, oh, big, big energy. Big energy. Now, Tut 2 did eventually pass away. So Tut 3 was technically supposed to be the next in line, but he, luckily for Hatshepsut or Hachi, was only like two years old at the time. So he could barely talk and then, alas, could not rule which is kind of weird considering a toddler appears to be running the United States right now, but that's none of my business. So Hatshepsut then became the acting regent or co-ruler with toddler Tut the third. Okay. Now another handy trait for Hatshepsut was her strong knowledge and attribution to religion. Uh, She was a churchy girl. She established herself as the God Amun's wife or the chosen one. And she made sure that everyone was reminded of that. Okay, so she took on most of her father's titles aside from the strong bull of his mother title, which ties a pharaoh traditionally to the goddess Isis, who was famous in the Egyptian historical world of gods and goddesses. She was known for resurrecting her husband, producing and protecting his heir, but more importantly, helping the dead enter the afterlife. And as we know, the afterlife was almost more important, if not definitely was more important to the Egyptians 
than their actual life, really. Yeah. I mean, they started getting their temples ready pretty much for as soon as possible. AS of the AP. So, um, yeah. I mean, the big um, temples take a while. So, our, our oh, last yeah. pre drinks. Oh, my God. <laughs> the warm up <laughs> You literally spend your life as a, as a, as a pharaoh getting ready for the afterlife definitely yeah. so it's like clearly make yeah, so, I mean, if you drink the gals continue yeah. Things so the strong bull of his mother connected the pharaoh to the goddess isis and also hathor who was the cow who gave birth and protected the pharaohs but hatshepsut was like nah i don't need that title because i am already an ally with the goddesses myself being a female which no other pharaoh, male pharaoh can do okay so she was very intelligent and a real white people person um, with great alliances that helped her talk her way basically into ruling. She also, again, kept people reminded of her connection to, she kept reminding people of her connection to God and how, again, we always come back. We always circle back to this blame God. Sorry guys. I have to rule. God said <laughs> my bad. <laughs> I wish I could change. I wish I could change things, but <laughs> very convenient. Get out you know? of jail card, isn't it? Hundred percent. Well, she stepped it up or not? She's like, God told me, but also I am basically part of God. So, so I told me. me. So there's a bit of feedback going <laughs> yeah, on. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Is there feedback? No, I'm saying between God and and Hatch oh, because she's also partly God. Lucy, don't throw those terms around on a day like today. Through <laughs> your podcast. Good lord. <laughs> um she was also she also had a very rich pure royal bloodline and therefore strong game for taking the throne she was co-ruling with toddler tut the third and then all of a sudden three years into that she was like nah i'm pharaoh now sorry yeah she just kind of like people would say oh hello regent hutchepsfoot and she'd be like sorry pharaoh i go by pharaoh now and they're like like, when you say mrs Oh, Mrs. It's Doctor. Mm. It's know. Doctor. No, yeah, exactly that. It's Pharaoh <laughs> to you. So she became the fifth Pharaoh of the 18th dynasty of Egypt. She was also the historically confirmed second female Pharaoh. Historically confirmed. Mm-hmm. It is also suggested that there were some female rulers before. And obviously there was definitely instances where there was other female regents in place to hold the fort until the male successor came through. But none went on to rule for as long as Hatshepsut, as I said, or get as much done. She was only the third woman to become pharaoh in 3,000 years of ancient Egyptian history, though, and the first to attain the full power of the position. Cool. Cleopatra, as we mentioned earlier, also exercised such power, but she wouldn't rule until like 14 centuries later. It's wow. funny because you think of it, you think of Egypt as being you're like, oh, like that would have happened like, you know, 20 years later. After ruling as queen regent, she dubbed herself king, not queen, by the way. So she was okay. pharaoh king, not queen. That was a big thing for her. Like kind and of she reigned roughly between 1479 and 1458 BC. So about 21 years, I think it was like 21 years and nine months of claiming herself as pharaoh of Egypt. Wow. So. Yeah, pretty baller. King of Egypt, should I say. There has been evidence to suggest that by around year seven of her rule, she was actually going by king and not queen. Not only that, but depictions of Hatshepsut also showed her with male features such as a false beard to again amp up that she would be respected as king. And she also dropped her titles relating to those only a woman could hold and took on those of the pharaoh. Cool. As a woman Uh, who can grow a beard, I like that. I like that she Yes. Thank Shout you. out. Even though her beard, her beard was fake. Actually, most of the pharaoh's beards were fake, but still counts. 
It's good uh, to have that representation. <laughs> <laughs> representation matters. For all those people in self-isolation who have not been able to get a wax or a shave. Well, now just have to don't want to. I don't want to anymore. Exactly. Beard. Freezing like nipple. Oh, I love it. She even eventually dropped a female ending from her name. So she dropped the T because apparently that was feminine and became His Majesty Hatshepsut, which I actually think sounds more feminine, but each to their own. <laughs> Sue is objectively quite a feminine name. It is, objectively. Um, Hatchie never explained why she took the throne or how she persuaded Egypt's elite to accept her new position. However, an essential element of her success was a group of loyal officials. So, like I said, people person. Many handpicked as well from her because she's always had her finger in that royal pie. She's always been on the scene, you know, so she's always worked the room, so to speak. And the, a lot of those handpicked people controlled a lot of the key positions in her government. Most prominent amongst these was Senemut, who was her overseer of royal work, so her sidekick. And it is suggested that they may have been lovers, which I'm here for. Oh, so that's, uh, there's no evidence of that, though, but we can imagine. But you can just feel okay. it. A little bit of fan fiction. Well, even the fiercest of females deserve a bit of side action. So let's talk a little bit about what made Hatshepsut so successful in her 21 years, nine months of ruling. So she had a real passion for building. She was a tradie at heart, a tradeswoman. And she commissioned hundreds of construction projects right across Egypt, upper and lower Egypt, all on an incredibly grand scale. Grand designs, if you will, Egypt. That's what I was going to say. Grand designs, ancient Egypt edition. (laughs) I can kind of see it now. A parody of like Hatshepsut, like doing the the talking head and then like there's snippets of her like looking at the wall, holding up different swatches (laughs) of colour. (laughs) Uh, she also employed a solid project manager too um, named Ineni who was the dynasty's architectural consultant or advisor which I like I can't stop picturing him like little guy running around yeah (laughs) I'm seeing little circular glasses and a scarf and no I'm seeing like a hard hat and blueprints under his arm oh okay (laughs) like runs drop one scroll of blueprint has to pick it up and then drops the rest and he's like oh running around but he's still got his traditional egyptian kilt on like it's a whole thing <laughs> Don't think it's, called a kilt. <laughs> it's a, like it's a kilt style egyptian kilt thing okay so following the tradition of her previous rulers hatshepsut also added her input at karnak temple which i can confirm i have been to and it is amazing oh, did you go to Egypt amazing <laughs> i did did you not know that did you not know that? I, I don't think I saw any pictures of it. My sad white girl throwback pictures. No, of it. no they're cool. We're just awesome. kidding. We're yeah. just saying that because we're Joe. It's very sad. Anyways, Karnak Temple is phenomenal. It's located in Luxor and is the second most visited location in Egypt, obviously after the Pyramids of Giza. Obviously, Giza's great. Pyramids of Giza are great. But Karnak, whoa. Can I ask a whoa. question as someone who's been there? How much of it's still there? Like, is it something that's really stood the test of time? Is it like a... What, Karnak Temple? Yeah. Considering how freaking old it is, yes. Karnak Temple, it's made up of four precincts, but only the main precinct is open to the public today. It's believed it was used from around 2000 BC, dating all the way through to 30 BC. That's a long ass time. It's huge. It's huge. And it was basically one pharaoh, one ruler would come in, decorate the place, put up some pillars, put his spin on it. And then the next Pharaoh would come along and put their own stuff up and add to it. And then on the occasion, most occasions, they would either knock stuff down or scrub out the name of other Pharaohs, put their name on top. 
like a block pretty much it was essentially the like hodgepodge of different design elements from different kings so during Hatshepsut's reign she restored the precinct of Mut which is around 90,000 square meters in Karnak temple just to remind you of how huge wow. Karnak temple is yeah it's it's huge and the goddess Mut is the wife of the god Amun-Ra and had previously been destroyed by foreign rulers, that section of Karnak. So because obviously our Hatshepsut had a connection to her goddesses, she was like, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to do this place up. Renovation, rewind. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. She also commissioned two obelisks to be put at the front of the temple. Now an Such obelisk. fun word, obelisk. Obelisk, which a lot of people would probably the first type of obelisk they would think of is the Washington Monument. Unless it's me and then she doesn't know what it is. So an obelisk is traditionally made of stone and it is, it, it pretty much is a pillar that stands tall and has a pointy top, which usually has gold on the top and it symbolizes the sun God and actually adds like kind of acts like a sundial. I'm pretty sure when it's uh, pointing at a certain point, it faces North. And yeah. So it's, it's also very phallic. Very phallic, like I said, big, big energy in ancient Egypt, (laughs) even from Hachi. Um, Anyway, so she commissioned two obelisks to be put at the front of Karnak Temple during her reign. One actually still stands there today. It is the tallest surviving obelisk in the world at a height of 28.58 metres and it weighs 343 tonnes. Yeah, it's real tall. Real, real tall. The other other one has broken and has toppled over. And I think technically today the tallest obelisk is the Washington Monument in D.C. in the U.S. But uh, Hatshepsut's is the oldest ancient surviving one. She also ordered two more obelisks. She was an obelisk fiend to be made for her 16th year anniversary as ruler. One of them broke. One of her 16th anniversary obelisks broke during construction in Aswan, which is down the Nile. And it's actually still just chilling there today. And it actually told historians a lot about how they carted these gigantic obelisks up the Nile. They had to put them on these boats made out of trees. And there was not a lot of trees in Egypt, so that's already a bit of effort. And then they would wait until it had flooded and then they would cart them up. But I mean, like... You can't diss the ancient Egyptians. They had their engineering down pat. Like they were good at what they did with what they had. Uh, It was a lot of effort, but they were like, well, this is what we do. This is what we're doing. So they would (laughs) cut them up the Nile and then they would, the way that they would set up an obelisk, which I'm going to give a shout out to Ahmed, who was our tour guide in Egypt. That time I went to Egypt and Ahmed is a legend. Went to Egypt? I really hope Ahmed is not listening to this podcast because he would be so embarrassed. But he taught us how they set them up, which was really cool. And basically what they did was, well, it wasn't cool because of slavery, but they would get (laughs) slaves slaves to dig. Like they would basically set up this, they would put up a, um, like a pit. They would create a pit with a little door in the bottom and they would dig out the pit and then they would, fill the pit with sand and coming off the side of the pit would be a ramp. And so they'd pull up the obelisk up the ramp and put it like kind of position it in the middle on top of the sand. Then they would open the door. The sand would come out and the obelisk would fall and then go upright and then they would secure it in. I think that would, back in. that's um, science. Probably better described in a visual medium. <laughs> so confused. Her masterpiece, her masterpiece project was a mortuary temple called 
Jasur Jasuru, which is the holiest of holy places, which was dedicated to Amen, Anubis, and Hathor, and was built at the site of an even older temple near the entrance of the Valley of the Kings. And I will show you a photo because you'll probably recognize it. You know, like when those shows like Backyard Blitz and stuff used to be on and they had to like turn a house around in just a few days' time? Could you imagine how stressed these builders were? They had a lot to do in a very short space of time. Yeah. I mean, it felt like ancient Egypt. There was just always construction all the time. Skyscrapers. Yeah. This is the temple that I'm referring to. Ooh. Oh, I think I've seen that. Interesting. It's basically, Hutchepsut's temple. Let's talk about her success in trade. She was very good at helping Egypt out of basically a financial crisis. A GFC. And it was all via, yes, her GFC back in ancient Egypt. This was all done via this magical, mystical voyage or voyages to the land of Punt. Now, no one actually knows where Punt is technically, but it was an ancient kingdom that apparently produced and exported a wealth of gold and ebony and ivory and wild animals, which suggests that it was in Africa. Historians don't really agree on the exact location of this magical mystery kind of El Dorado style land, but some believe it's in the Southeast of Egypt and some also say it's now modern day Somalia. So it's a fun fact. And many, many Egyptian rulers have referenced the land of Punt and going there and bringing back gold and all these things. Hatshepsut created a Red Sea fleet to travel from the Gulf of Aqaba to the magical mystical land of Punt to bring back goodies to Karnak in exchange for Nubian gold. Because as we mentioned earlier, they were her, like previous to her coming into rule, it was all about trying to claim Nubia and Syria. And so for her, she was like, I'm going to trade with the Nubian, the Nubians. And that's what she did. She also joined this epic voyage, apparently bringing back quite a hefty amount of myrrh trees because it was her favorite scent. But as, uh, myrrh is, uh, as we know from frankincense and myrrh, yep. myrrh was used for embalming. So that's kind of a, a grim scent to be into, but you do you Hachi. So I was, um, right. yeah. Frankincense was also on her her um Hatshepsut's audit, which she would use to make eyeliner. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Hey guys, welcome back to my channel. Today I'll be using Frankincense NW15. A lot of you guys have been asking me <laughs> my Frankincense routine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the depiction of the voyage, the depiction of this said magical voyage is on reliefs at her temple, Deir el Bari, which also depicts a huge statue of the Queen of Punt, which I love. I love this. Her name was Queen Ati, and she may be the first woman or among the first women of ancient Egypt to be depicted as a real woman with womanly curves booty and boobs but some historians say that means that she was obese but i just say she was a real woman anyways long story short hatshepsut did a great job in setting up trade with the huntites and that carried through to the 20th dynasty so she did some good stuff there good for you hatchy wow and that was kind of her main thing with like she kind of wasn't really into battle because she was like that just seems like it's doing more harm than good and uh, i think we should be uh friends not foes so she did uh even though she did have warrior in her blood, but she was rel- relatively peaceful. And um, there has been evidence to suggest that she did leave a short, successful military campaign in Nubia, but trade was her, her main thing. So she continued to rule until her death in her 22nd year of ruling. 
the crazy thing is her body was only found in 2007. Oh, what? Yeah. That's nuts, actually. Yeah. So she, so they found two mummies, right, in the temple of Hatshepsut's royal nurse. One of them was the nurse and the other one was unidentified. And they found a tooth fragment. She had like a missing tooth or something, or they found a tooth in a jar and that helped identify it as the potential body of Hatshepsut. Wow. And that meant that she, after they found that, they found that she had diabetes and she died of bone cancer wow. around her 40s and 50s. Wow. And also that she likely had bad arthritis and bad teeth. It's a bit sad, but anyways. The reason for her being there is that it's believed she may have been moved to her nurse's tomb when her father, Tutmos I, was moved from his original tomb in the Valley of the Kings, which featured an extra chamber. And that tomb was dubbed KV-20, some just like random tomb that they didn't realize was hers. And so, yeah, they were like, oh, we'll just put, we'll just put Hatchie here for a second. And then obviously she was forgotten, which is quite sad. Also a bit of a grim fact, it is believed that a lotion, which was used to treat her skin may have led to her getting cancer. So that's oh, kind of God. heavy. So there is currently, there is no indication of attempts to overthrow her with her co-ruler Tutmos III even though he was her secondary and he also led the army. So he had a lot of reason and power to try and overthrow her, but he did not. As I mentioned, a lot of her statues depict both feminine and uh, male uh, sort of ceremonial attire with her false beard. But it's suggested that the gender of pharaohs was never really stressed in official depictions with most given kind of the false beard get up. So then obviously she passed away and Tut three took over after she died and he went on to become the greatest of all pharaohs due to his military campaigns. And he was also nicknamed Napoleon of Egypt because he went on to expand the land quite successfully. Now it is funny because he was what around like several thousand years before Napoleon. So really Napoleon was. And then several thousand years before that was obviously, I mean, after that was Napoleon dynamite. Yeah. Which is another person (laughs) to compare him to. (laughs) true great and i mean look historians this is the thing and they're actually called egyptologists and egyptologists basically everyone has their own say on things and they're still finding stuff to this day so and that's basically what's been happening with hutchepsut it was only the 20th century that they started to find things that gave evidence to her even existing wow that is the issue here right now, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the story, someone was trying to etch her name out. Now, a lot of this happened to um, pharaohs because they were lazy and they couldn't be bothered to put their own obelisk up. So they were like, fuck it, just put my name on her homework. That'd be great. <laughs> but it is suggested that, and I think this is just a gossipy thing that's kind of done the Chinese whispers down the line, but it is suggested that Tutmos three could have potentially been the one to order her be erased from history because he wasn't, she ruled for so long. But then, like I said, that didn't happen until the end of his rule. So I feel like maybe some misogynist birdie came in and was like, yo dude, how have you let her get away with this for so long? She's gone now. Let's erase her for good, bro. And he's like, who are you? All right. Boys, 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 boys. Let's do it. Lads, 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 lads. But then on the other hand, that could also very much likely is not true because he he left her he was so chill about it for so long you know what i mean anyways anywho so her cartouches and images were 
chiseled off walls. Many of her statues were also torn down or disfigured and then like burned, which is pretty dramatic. There's also evidence of attempts to remove the carvings from her obelisks, like I mentioned earlier. And it's not entirely clear on motives for why this was done. Like I said, it is less likely an attack on gender and more a lazy way of just rulers after her being like, let's save a buck and just put my name on it. It is also suggested that Amenhotep II, which is the son of Tutmos III, he may have had a grudge against Hachi because his royal lineage wasn't as strong as hers. And when he came into power, he actually took a lot of Hachi's accomplishments and named them as his own. So this is a bit of a dirty bird. What really sucks though, is that the attempts in erasing Hatshep's name from history almost caused her to disappear from Egypt's archaeological records. And it wasn't until Egyptologists translated the walls of the Deir el-Bahri temple, which is the one I showed you, and we'll put a photo of it up on Instagram, that the translations on the walls made no sense because it appeared to be illustrating two kings, but the inscriptions were referring to a bearded king in like the usual pharaoh dress, but all the nouns and the verbs were in the feminine. Yeah. So this this historian, this Egyptologist was like, hold up, something's something's fishy here. And basically, as more and more artifacts were unearthed in separate temples, because of course we had looters eventually in later centuries, we had literal pharaohs taking other like they would never take another previous king's um burial souvenirs, but because that's obviously wrong. But things will things were turning up all over the shop and they eventually started to find yeah exactly that looters are obviously the worst part of it but it wasn't until the 20th century that we started to learn more about algo hachi and um it's important that we keep doing so to conclude this author kara cooney who wrote the book when women ruled the world six queens of egypt i really like what she said she got asked by national geographic about her own fascination behind hatshepsut and her position among female Egyptian rulers. And she says, Hatshepsut did everything perfectly, which is something idealized. Success is fungible. It's something that someone else can claim and take credit for. Her name can easily be removed, another put in her place. Like I said earlier, a lot of the pharaohs did that to each other anyways. And when you go to Karnak Temple as well, fun fact, I've been there in case you didn't know, you Hmm. can actually see like in the architecture how different it is as like you you go through the temple and like you can see that they've added on it's really interesting yeah and like the different like the different um styles of Mm. you can see all the different renos different renovations that's cool it's very interesting yeah but as Kara said, her name can easily be removed and put in her place. Failure, on the other hand, is not abstract because no one wants to claim failures. And it's something that is individualized. For example, Cleopatra is remembered. Shakespeare wrote a play about her. The film starring Elizabeth Taylor was created about her because people didn't want to claim Cleopatra's failures. So, she, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like she was more... Yep individualized yeah whereas the likes of Hatshepsut who was so successful people were like yeah I'm just going to claim what she did as my own and then eventually she was almost forgotten Hatshepsut hadn't really seen much of the limelight and it became a study of why female success is so easily ignored interesting long story short because there is so much more to Hatshepsut that we do not have time for today but she is a legend who left Egypt in a better state than she found it she took an opportunity and she ran with it and she convinced everybody else that it was a good idea. 
And I think it was, and it definitely was clearly. And it's important to talk about people who were almost forgotten. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Fierce Females of History. You can catch us in a couple of places. Erin, where can they find us online? Instagram at Fierce Females Podcasts and Facebook, Fierce Females of History at Facebook.com. I don't know. <laughs> Just Google it. You'll find us. Also, if you want to email us, if you've got questions, got a suggestion, History at gmail.com. Or what you can do is you can leave a message in the tomb of your nursemaid and then several thousand years <laughs> later, uh, historians will discover it. And It'll probably be Erin because you know she's been to Egypt? Erin has been to Egypt. <laughs> she's been <laughs> oh. And she loves Let it. me remember this. We're not allowed to travel for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yeah, sorry, sorry, Ahmed. Sorry.